Let's open our Bibles to where Paul was reading Acts chapter 2 this morning. And let's look at verses 1 through 4. I have entitled uh, the morning's message, How It Began and How It Will End. And I can honestly tell you that the Lord gave me the whole Bible study um, in less than five minutes. I'm serious. No, I'm serious. I mean, there were places where during the rest of the week, uh, there were other verses and scriptures that he added. Um, but I walked upstairs and I came back downstairs and looked at Judy and I said, well, since I left and now that I'm back, the Lord has given me Sunday's whole Bible study. And so I, I wrote the main subject down and basically that it was just filling in, in the blanks. Um, so let's look at chapter two, verses one through four. And he gave me this title, How It Began and How It Will End. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, as one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, as we've finished up the Gospel of John, making our way through the scriptures, we can divide this chapter, two, uh, into two different sections. Uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, if you're taking notes, is recorded in verses 1 through 13. Uh, the first sermon ever given to the church is given by Peter. That's recorded in verses 14 through 17. Uh, the word fully here in verse 1 could be translated better fulfilled when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled, it says they were all together in one place. Pentecost took place 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. Now, back in Leviticus, we find that the Feast of First Fruits speaks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we get that from 1 Corinthians 15, 23, where it tells us that Christ, the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then when we come to another feast, the feast of Passover, uh, we read that speaks of the death of Jesus Christ. And we learn that from 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For even Christ, I'm quoting this now, our Passover is sacrificed for us. So, since the Passover has been fulfilled in the death of Christ, and the feast of first fruits has been fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ, um, we believe that the feast of Pentecost represents something also. That is, it is the fulfillment of something. It is the fulfillment, it is the birth of the church, the day the church came into 
existence, and thus the title, how it began. This is how the church began. I want to do a little bit of background um, explaining from Leviticus. Um, So I'm going to have you turn to Leviticus chapter 23. The Lord gave to the Jewish people seven feasts. And in Leviticus 23, beginning with verse 15, preceding uh, this, there would be the Feast of Passover, number one, the Feast of First Fruits that I just alluded to. And then we have, beginning in verse 15 of uh, Leviticus 23, picking it up in verse 15 through 22. And you shall count for yourself from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbath shall be completed. Count, 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. Uh, You shall bring from your inhabitation two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah, and they shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull, two rams. Uh, They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord and their grain offering and their drink offering as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering, two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice or a peace offering, and the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a, a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout all your generations. Now remember, we're speaking to Jews. And um, these are the seven feasts of them. And it was to be perpetual, generation after generation. These were to be observed. Now verse 22, I'm going to do a little sidetrack here. Because part of the feast of Pentecost had to do with harvesting. So it says in verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you uh, gather any gleanings for your harvest. Why? You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So this last verse, I'm going to do a little sidetrack. And instead of making it part of the announcement, I wanted to work it uh, into the Bible study this morning. Basically, agriculture, uh, you planted your, your harvest, whatever it was, barley, wheat, corn, and you could glean the whole field, except you couldn't do the corners. All the four corners had to be left off. You couldn't take that. Because somebody traveling through, or didn't have means, or simply poor, they had access to this. 
And this is actually part of uh, the declaration of what the Feast of Pentecost is all about. The term Pentecost comes from the Greek Pentecosti, meaning 50, and it refers to the Jewish festival celebrated on the 50th day after Passover. All right, think this through. What happened on Passover? Well, we read earlier that Jesus was our Passover lamb. He fulfilled, that was a fulfillment, it was a picture. That Passover is really a picture of Jesus dying on a cross. So now you count 50, penti, that's uh, where we get the word 50 from. Also known, Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of 50 Days. So 50 days after the Feast of Passover, we have Pentecost. Now I'm gonna do a little sidetrack here because I got a letter uh, from Amun Salim this week. I've known Amun for many, many years. Um, and I'm on um, one of four people on the board of the Dom Society. When I say Dom, I'm actually talking about gypsies. Is everybody with me with that? Do you know that a Dom is a gypsy? So when I say Dom, I'm referring to the, the gypsies. Uh, they were just as despised by the Germans as the Jews were. And um, they have a reputation. Um, where Amun lives is in the uh, Arab quarter in the old city of Jerusalem, uh, very close to the pool of Bethesda. Uh, matter of fact, less than a five-minute walk, and um, her house that they've been in for over 100 years, still there, and it's right on the wall that faces uh, the Mount of Olives. So when we were there last time, uh, she came and she spoke uh, to our group and, and uh, the work. She always had a burden because of the reputation of the gypsy. Um, the way they made their living was the kids would sell um, cards, 10 for a dollar, one dollar. We always have to say one dollar. How much is it? One dollar. Everything's one dollar. <laughs> Um, but the kids were always on the street. They really didn't have an education. Um, it was uh, a woman where, especially in, by, by the Arabs, at one time I remember we, we bought them cameras because their house literally would be stoned on a daily basis by, by the Arabs because they're just, they're just hated. Um, so Amun took it upon herself. She got saved and got involved. Um, I first met her at the Calvary Chapel that we had uh, in Jerusalem. And uh, her prayer after coming to Christ was to somehow create a community center just for these kids to get them off the streets so that they get an education, that the women could learn a trade, and uh, they have... Over the years, we have created what we call uh, the Dom uh, Society. And um, it's a school. It's a place that teaches the women how to um, 
have a job as a hairstylist or whatever. But because of the pandemic, it has hit them especially hard. I'm not going to read this whole letter that she sent me, but I am going to put some pictures up. I have four of them. I hope we can get them up um, that Amun sent me this week. And then as the first ones come up, let's just go through the pictures first, and um, then I'll tell you why I'm getting sidetracked here a little bit. Next one, please. Uh, there's a picture of a moon with, with cross-references in front of her. There she is. And um, next one, please. She's still single. She's completely given her life to this work. Next one. And um, these, I think we have one more of some kids, too, if I remember right. Yeah. Uh, these, these are the ones who would typically spend their day going to school at the, at the Dobbs Center. Well, right now, and I'm, um, I'll skip the introductions. Basically, she's giving us greetings, saying hi to, to everybody here. Um, but she wants us to know because of this. And uh, Israel is one of the, uh, has one of the tightest lockdowns when, when it comes to the COVID. And as a result, it has affected them. And I'm, I'll read part of this and then um, make a suggestion. Uh, She says, the pandemic and continuous lockdown have taken away the jobs and sole income of the Dom people, or the gypsies. Dom mothers are being on the street. Fathers are sending their children to sell anything on the street. At home, the domestic violent rates are going up, besides living in small closed area. The frustration of providing for one's family has been unbearable for many though through children and adolescents have been most affected by the pandemic. Besides everything else, they're unable to join the shift to remote learning and their parents can't provide any support. And uh, she's basically, in the rest of the letter, uh, for those that have supported um, this in the past, they're sort of at a place where Haiti was a couple months ago. Um, Somebody asked me if I would actually say uh, how much money we actually collected and sent down when, remember, they didn't have any food. So I'll tell you this morning, because somebody, I have no problem if somebody wants to ask that question. We sent down $9,000. And some people said, oh, that that much money wasn't really sent down there. Believe me, that much money was sent down there. Uh, Our secretary here, that takes care of our books, keeps us squeaky clean. And if she says we sent $9,000 down there, we sent $9,000 there. So in case you've heard otherwise, those are the facts. And if you want to question them, Cynthia is sitting right there. I just embarrassed her to death and she'll hate me get, she'll get me for it later. No, she keeps us squeaky clean. And uh, somebody said, well, why don't you just uh, mention um, what we gave so that the people could know. And I said, I don't have a problem with that. So now you know. Now having said that, now a ministry that I, I'm personally on the board and have known Amun, um, and she's dedicated her entire life to bring together and help these kids now are back on the streets. And so what we're gonna do is I'm announcing this this morning with this sidetracked, we don't, we, most of us are harvesting 
and we're maintaining. Let's just say we're not starving, okay? So what I'm saying here is we're gonna cut the corners of the field. And next Sunday, we're gonna have a special love offering. And uh, we'll take that love offering and we'll send it off to a moon. And if you wanna know how much we sent, then I'll gladly tell you. But I wanted to give you a weak heads up so you can pray about it. By the way, this letter, we have copies of them, the full letter out in the fellowship hall and you can pick one up on the way home. All right? Um, The Feast of Pentecost comes from Leviticus chapter 23 and it tells us uh, there are seven of them. Um, So let's go back to Acts chapter two and we can see where Pentecost comes from. It is a Jewish holiday. And I'm gonna look at verse one a little bit more carefully. Let's read it again. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all. Now I got that underlined. They were all with one accord in one place. Well, Acts chapter one actually tells us what that number of all is. So if you turn to chapter one of Acts and look at verse 15, we read, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120 men. So when we read in Acts chapter two, when they all, well, they all is 120. They were all Jews, okay? There are no Gentiles in this group of people right here. So in verse one, Uh, Going back to verse 15 of chapter one tells us how many. There was 120 of them. And in verses two through four, these 120 men, all of a sudden, remember that the Lord told, don't do anything, wait. Okay, now that's what they've been waiting for is coming. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there's going to be many people that are going to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. What's different here? is that it is the only place where we see and hear the Holy Spirit. We're told that it sat upon each of them like flames of fire, tongues of fire above them. So it could be seen, but not only seen, it could also be heard. It came in like a... Well, I don't know if that's what it sounded like, but it's the best I can do. In other words, it could be heard. So the birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, it's expedient, absolutely necessary that I depart because if I don't depart, I can't send back the Holy Spirit. And so that's what's happening here. Jesus ascended and he sent back the Holy Spirit. Now the reasoning for this, if you think about it, they say in the corporate world, uh, you can invest yourself effectively 
um, your qualities and your traits into um, basically 12 people. And it's interesting that Jesus had 12 disciples. Um, But he was limited, um, but the Holy Spirit is not. Omnipresent. As David said in Psalm 139, I think, where can I go from your spirit? Can I go to heaven? You're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I go to the farthest places in the world, even there, your spirit will guide me. Well, it's just a picture of the Trinity. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit could accomplish that Jesus couldn't, being fully man and fully God, was... um, being all places at all time, being able to work. And so the necessity of the Holy Spirit um, is given. Now, in verses five through 13, what we have, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These other tongues are not unknown tongues. Uh, There were many tongues spoken by Jews throughout the Roman Empire. These worshipers had come from the different areas of the Roman Empire for the Feast of Pentecost. Remember that all male Jews were required to come to Jerusalem for three of the feasts. Uh, They were in Jerusalem because of that. Passover, Pentecost, and Sukkot. If you were a Jewish male, you were required to be there. So now we have all these Jews coming from all these different countries speaking their native language, which would not have been Hebrew. It would have been wherever they came from. Is everybody with me? So what happened here, they were in Jerusalem because of that, and many of them couldn't speak Hebrew. This is not unusual. There are many Jews in our country today who cannot speak Hebrew. For years, it was a dead language in Israel. Today, however, it's being spoken again. Now, let's just think this through logically. In 70 AD, they were dispersed into all the world. And wherever they were dispersed to, obviously, they took on that language in order to succeed in going to the grocery store or doing whatever. You spoke that language. But when he came back to Jerusalem, um, uh, Hebrew, and it might not even have been Hebrew during Jesus' time. So what happened, in 1881, there was a man named Benny Huda. There's actually a street, a very popular street that um, when we go there, Our group likes to go out because of the coffee shops and ice cream and things like that. And uh, that's called Benny Huda Street. Benny Huda was determined to revive the language. By the way, that's a prophecy. And whenever anybody would come to his house, first of all, he worked with his son. He taught his son how to speak Hebrew and then told his son he could not speak in any other language than Hebrew. And if anybody would be in contact with Benny Huda and you were talking with him, he would communicate with you only until you learned a couple Hebrew words. And as a result, through this one man, the Hebrew language was restored. 
And this was in 1881. Remember, they hadn't been there since 70 AD. Um, the Hebrew language is revived so that when you go to Israel today, what's the language that they speak? They speak Hebrew. Torah. I don't know much, but that's a thank you. Mostly you know shalom, right? <laughs> Boker tov. <laughs> well, that's the extent of my Hebrew. <laughs> now, as we look at this, from 14 to 35, these five verses, five through 13, um, it tells us that where they, they came from. They came from Mesopotamia, Judea, Pompous, Asia, Egypt, Libya, and Arabs and Cretans. And they were amazed because they were worshiping and praising God in these other people's languages. It wasn't gibberish. It was a language, but it wasn't their language. And they were saying, how can you do that? You don't know my language, and yet you're praising God in my tongue. And that's what was taking place in verses three through 11. And verse 12 says, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others said, mockingly, they're full of new, new wine. And in other words, they're all drunk and they don't know what they're saying. And so from verses 14 to 35, again, um, prophecy is so important. And sometimes people think we purposely gravitate just towards prophecy. I beg to differ. You can't read the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse without dealing with prophecy. In this one chapter alone, there are three different Old Testament prophecies. And to set the record straight, Peter goes in verse 14 because the mockers were saying, these guys are just drunk. And... um, he said, forget about it. We're talking at 9 o'clock in the morning here. They aren't. And in verse, um, oh, let's pick it up. In verse 14, we have three Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. Let's look at the first one. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But it is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now we have an Old Testament prophecy. And it says, then it'll come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my maid servants and on my men servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. I'm going to stop at this point and explain to you that there's places that I've mentioned a double prophecy. And this is a double prophecy. And I'll explain it because I'm going to take you back to Joel in a second here. And this is where the other, even though it's being fulfilled here, there's still a part of it that is yet going to be fulfilled, but it all comes from the same sentence in Joel chapter 2. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below, 
blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord, and it will come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. These guys aren't drunk. They're simply fulfilling what Joel said was going to happen. And so what we have here in the first half of it is a fulfillment. Please turn with me to the book of uh, Joel. It's in the Minor Prophets on page 898. It's right after Hosea and right before Amos. And I'm gonna give you a second to turn there. And it's good that you do turn with me because I want you to get you to know your Bibles and what are the major prophets and what are the minor prophets. In Joel chapter two, on this first prophecy, first of three in Acts chapter two, we read in verse 28 of chapter two, and it will come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now I believe this is a fulfillment of Acts 2. But the double prophecy now goes into the future because um, of what happens next. I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. I think we've just jumped into the tribulation because none of this happened in Acts chapter two. Everybody with me? So what we're reading now is stuck together and you should know that this is normal, more normal than abnormal when it comes to Old Testament prophecy being connected with the New Testament. I will show blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming great terrible day of the Lord. Another name for the tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble or Daniel's 70th week. It will come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Let's go back to Acts. This first thing that Peter says, they aren't drunk. This is simply what is being fulfilled that Joel talked about. And it has two parts to it, part one and part two. It's one of the reasons I call this how it began, but also how it's going to end. Now, the second prophecy that we have is in verses 22 through 28. So let's look at that, men of Israel. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by Miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and you have crucified him and put him to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now, prophecy. He goes back to David. For David said concerning him, 
I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in, because you will not leave my soul in Hades. What is he referring to here? Well, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You will not leave my soul in Hades. That's what it's a reference to. Nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Well, David was just writing a psalm. And in so doing, in Psalm 16, uh, the Holy Spirit used him to write down what would be fulfilled um, in Acts chapter two. Peter is preaching at this time. Now, as we get to the third Old Testament prophecy, he just begins to witness for his very first time being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we find as he's witnessing concerning Christ, uh, verse 31, not being left in Hades, nor does fleshy corruption. Um, Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, now this is Psalm 110, verse one. This is prophecy number three that's being fulfilled in Acts chapter two. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The father speaking to the son. Sit at my right side until I make your enemies your footstool. And it's a prophecy. And uh, one yet uh, to be fulfilled. Uh, So this third Old Testament prophecy in Acts is about Jesus' ascension into heaven where he sits, when he gets there, at the right hand of the Father. If you're taking notes again, it's Psalm 110, verse one. Now, as I thought this through, in verses 36 through 41, uh, Peter preaches really for the first time under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And before I get into this, I want to remind you of something for those of you who were here last week. In chapter one, remember last week, it says wait until. In other words, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Did that stop Peter? (laughs) No. Who's the first one to speak up here? Peter. (laughs) And so what we find that that I find interesting is last week, In chapter one, Peter has not yet received the Holy Spirit. He knew knew Old Testament prophecy. He said, hey look, there's this prophecy in the Old Testament that says that uh, the one that's going to betray him, he's gotta be replaced. So I suggest that um, we pick somebody out to take Judas' spot. And so they rolled dice and they came up with a couple guys. Um, uh, Matthias was the one that uh, they picked, it was Peter's, Peter's idea. 
But again, here's the thing about Matthias. You never hear about this guy again. Never. Who do you hear about? Paul, an apostle. It was the Lord's choice to pick Paul. It was Peter's choice to pick Matthias. And he was, my point is this, he's doing it when the Lord clearly told them, wait until, okay? Well, now the until has come. And now we have Peter preaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we have a completely different thing going on here now. Because now it's not just man Peter, Peter is more of a conduit. Are you with me with that one? Where he is just a vessel that the Holy Spirit flows through. And it's with this, um, let's read, I'll, I'll read um, the first couple of verses here where he really now is preaching the gospel. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, they were cut to the heart. We use the word convicted today, okay? Will you turn with me to Acts chapter one? And uh, I'm gonna bring up the question, where were they convicted? And in Acts chapter one, verse eight, the Lord says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me, where? Where's the first place? Jerusalem. Where is the church being birthed? Jerusalem. And then says, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. We have a progression. But we also have a starting point. So here we have um, something happening. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Give me a moment to get there. We're just going to look at a couple verses. John 16, picking it up in verse 8. And we have the primary work of the Holy Spirit. What is the primary work of the Holy Spirit when he first comes to a person? Remember Jesus said, I'm I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's with you now, but he will be in you later. Remember we talked about that last week? He's with you now, but he'll be in you later. So what is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit? Peter's preaching. What's the result? They're cut to the heart. They're convicted. Yes, we did that. It was wrong. So we read in verse, well, let's pick it up in verse seven of John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, what will he do? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Here's Peter saying that it was the Romans, it was the Jewish people, but might I also add to that list, it was me and it was you. 
that caused Jesus Christ to go to Calvary. I'm the one who put him there. You're the one that put him there. So to say that the Jews were the ones that killed Jesus or the Romans, no. He, he died for the whole world, or as many as would re- receive him. Go back to Acts chapter two, and what do we find? When Peter, this is his first time preaching, not bad, Peter. What happens? They're, they're convicted, they're cut to the heart. And they know, what do we do? And he tells them, you guys need to repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the words were baptized. Let me separate there. It does not say all. It says those. Okay, not everybody, because of free will. All those who gladly received his words, they were baptized, and there were about 3,000 souls that were added to them. Wow. From a 120, the Holy Spirit being given, Peter preaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and we find 3,000 people being saved by God's grace. Why? Because they knew they were sinners. They knew they were guilty of what Peter was talking about. So the result of his message, down in 41, it says they were baptized, and then it gives us a number. Whenever a number is thrown out to me in scripture, I want to, why not just say a lot of people got saved, okay? No, he tells us 3,000 got saved. So as a result of grace and the gospel and conviction, um, 3,000 people got saved. That's grace. Good place for an amen. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 32. Genesis, Exodus, 32, picking it up with verse 26. Let me give you the background. Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai. He has the commandments. What are the commandments? We call them the Torah. We call it the law. It wasn't just 10, there were 316. And so he comes down and he finds that um, Aaron had made this golden calf and Moses confronts him about it because they're, they're partying. I mean, they're just getting down and boogieing and party like crazy. And um, Charlton Heston, I mean, I, I mean Moses, um, just making sure you're listening, comes down and he sees what's going on and he confronts Aaron. He says, what in the world are you doing? Uh, And and he says, well, the people gave me all this gold and they they gave it to me and I I just took this gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. That's the lamest excuse I've ever heard in my life. It just happened. 
Well, Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is with the Lord, verse 26, come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out of the entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of people fell that day. I don't think that's a coincidence. And I'll tell you why. But in order to find out why, you need to turn to the book of Romans chapter seven. 3,000 people get saved by grace on the day of Pentecost. And then in Romans chapter seven, I'll give you a moment to get there. Pick it up in verse Oh, let's read seven through 10. Paul is talking about the law here. And he says in verse seven, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. I mean, thou shall not covet. That's good, right? We shouldn't covet, but we do covet. And he's saying, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. So if nobody ever told me it's wrong to covet, then your conscience is clear because God never told you you didn't have to covet. But once it's revealed and God says thou shalt not steal and you steal, now you're caught. And now you're guilty under the law and therefore held accountable to it. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And here's verse 10. And the commandment, which was to bring forth life, I I found to bring forth death. Dwight, what's your point? 3,000 people died. Because of the law. The commandments were there. They were given. And as a result, what did the law bring? Death. How many? 3,000. Now we have the beginning of the church in the age of grace. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. Don't think that. I did not come to destroy the law. The law is good, converting the soul. Don't think that I've come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. Why is Jesus different? And why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Because he's the only one who lived a perfect, blameless, spotless life. Satan tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights. And as a result, he was victorious in every way. How? Do you notice that he, Satan would quote scripture? And then Jesus would quote scripture back, but in the correct context. It isn't that the devil doesn't know the scripture, he does. It's just how he uses it. And so what he did is he successfully never sinned in thought, word, and deed. But he's the only human being who ever lived who accomplished that. So everybody else, 
That's why I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. It's a level playing field, my friends. You're either a saved sinner or you are a lost sinner. And there is only one way. There's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And Jesus is the only way because he's the only way that fulfilled all of God's commandments. To stand before a holy God, you yourself must be holy. So he's taken my sin, but he gave me his righteousness. And I want you to know this this morning. That's how God looks at you. You're a chaste virgin. You're uh, his bride. And that's the way he views his church. Yeah, but I sinned yesterday. Well, good news, First John 5 verse 9. Uh, If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It gets better yet. He says, and I will remember them no more. You know what our problem is? We remember. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did last week. What What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I will remember them no more. And so we walk in repentance. And um, here, the reason we're in Romans 7 is it clearly points out that when the law was given, it brought forth death. How many? 3,000. When the church was birthed, how many were given grace? 3,000. Anybody here think that's a coincidence? Okay, I don't either. I find the deeper you go with the Bible, the deeper it gets. Matter of fact, it says for the countless ages to come, he's gonna show us the wonders of this book. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not this book. I mean, it's much deeper than we could possibly ever, ever imagine. Believe me, we are just scratching the surface of what is in the pages of what you're holding in your lap this morning. Let's go back to Acts chapter two. And we read in Acts chapter two, after the 3,000 were saved, the last verses, let's read 42 through 47. And they continued, okay, now you have a church, 3,000 strong. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, they had all things in common, They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. These are foundational scriptures for the Calvary Chapel movement. Unfortunately, several years back, there was a major split and uh, many of them thought they should leave off teaching in the Old Testament because a lot of people were grasping it and we should shy away more from um, verse by verse, maybe more topical. And I would like to tell you that what was once the only model for Calvary Chapel. It is still here and always will be as long as I'm here. <laughs> I hope we all go at the same time though. And, uh, but 
the model is here in verse 42. And this is all you have to do. And when I read this, I say, this is doable. I can do this. I can do it from the time I get saved until the time that the Lord takes us home. What is it? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is doctrine? Simply what we're doing right now. Explaining the difference between grace and works in the law. Doctrine. And in fellowship, well, I know you guys like to do that. And in breaking of bread and prayers. Well, breaking of bread is communion. So what do we have here? What's the model for the church? What's it supposed to look like? Bible studies. We do that. Amen. Do we have communion? Yep, next week. Um, um, Do we have prayer? Well, Saturday mornings are our highlight. We packed out yesterday morning. We're in the Psalms. And um, I'll get a little sidetracked here. Everybody went the way we do it. And let me just encourage more of you guys to come out for men's prayer because it's so rich. And um, we're in Psalms, so everybody takes three verses. And then the next person will take three verses. And we just go around and we'll crack out. I think we did maybe four Psalms yesterday. And one of the Psalms caught me in particular, in Psalm, I think it was 13, where David is pouring out his heart because of all the bad stuff he sees going around him. And we, boy, boy, can we identify with that. And uh, I pointed it out that David went through stuff like this and that it's okay to have days when you have to pour out your heart like, Lord, what in the world is going on? And this is hard to handle. The anxiety level is over the top. Now, I'm not saying that. David's saying that. But I'd be honest with you, there's days I feel that way. But then I read the Psalms and I go, it's okay if David's doing it. But then at the end of Psalm 13, he says, therefore, I'm gonna sing to the Lord. <laughs> so can as Christians, can we have bad days with all that's going on? Absolutely. But can we come and have fellowship and rejoice and praise the Lord at the same time? Absolutely. All that to say this, um, if you're thinking you're lacking in faith because you uh, aren't keeping a stiff upper lip with all that's going on and and, uh, always quoting God works everything for the good, let me tell you what I really think. We're never going back to normal. We're never going back to normal. And I do not believe in a last day revival. A lot of people talk about it. My Bible says there's gonna be a great falling away. It also says when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Well, how do you have faith? By being in the word of God. What are people gravitating towards? The social gospel. Socialism. Doing social works to help people. Now, should we do that? Well, we're gonna take a special collection next Sunday for gypsies in in, uh, Jerusalem. But that's not what it's all about. The main thing we do is the apostles' doctrine, preach the gospel. And when you get away from that and substitute it with social left-wing agendas, you don't have the gospel anymore. You have social west, left, west? (laughs) Left-wing churches that have gotten away from the exhortation, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in the church. And that comes when you teach verse by verse, and chapter by chapter. Here's the model. And you can do that. 
You can be in Bible study, you can be in fellowship, you can take communion and uh, be involved with men's prayer and women's prayer. And it really is, I'm there. Uh, one of the things Chuck told us when we started, he says, guys, when you go out and plant your churches, first thing you do, you start a men's Bible study and don't stop. That was 40 years ago. We started a men's Bible study and we haven't stopped and we're not gonna stop. That's a good place for an amen. And an open invitation for any of you guys that haven't done it. All right, let's um, continue on. So the other scripture that I would say characterizes a solid Calvary Chapel, I have people all the time, um, they're moving or they're snowbirds. Do you know if there's a, a good, that you actually have to use the term, do you know if there's a good Calvary Chapel in this city? Because a lot of them have gravitated much more towards a Hillsong emotional type ministry. And so I said, I don't know, but I'll, I'll try to find out for you. And so what we have here is our other major scripture comes from, if you're taking you notes, Zechariah chapter four, verse six, where it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts. In other words, it's not Peter, it's not me, it's not you. It's allowing yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit work through you. And what's gonna happen? If you do those four things, well, the Lord is going to add to the church daily. People are gonna notice you. And you say, you know, you got, you, you're not acting normal with all the stuff that's going on here. And uh, what is it that you got that I don't have? They're watching. They are watching how you're handling all this. And um, so if you do those four things, um, the Lord says that he's gonna add to the church daily. All right, that was my introduction. <laughs> This is a two-part Bible study, how it all began. We just went through how it all began. Now I'm gonna spend the rest of our time telling you how it's going to end. So if you would, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Acts chapter two is the beginning of the church. Romans 11 verse 25 is the end of the church. When I say end of the church, I mean the church age. 11.25 says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you would be wise in your own opinions that hardness in part has happened to Israel until, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This verse implies a number, the fullness of the Gentiles. The church age ends with the rapture. Notice where it says the fullness. The implication there is there is a time. And when that time comes, the blinders that are on Israel right now will be taken off. And when the church disappears, if you think this pandemic is causing people's head to spin, wait till millions of people disappear. And then we have all Israel being saved in verse 26. God's done with the church age. 
Where did it begin? Acts chapter two. Where's it gonna end? When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. My friends, when the church began, there was no Gentiles. They were all Jews. I wanna take you to the first Gentile because what has happened over time is Christianity is basically Gentile. So let's, if you would, turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 10, and I'll show you the first Gentile that got saved, which completely blew the minds of the Jewish church at that time. Acts chapter 10, and let me draw your attention to verse 44 through 48. I'm not gonna read the whole chapter, I'm gonna summarize for you. Peter was in Joppa, and um, he was hungry, and um, so he went up on a roof. If you've ever been to Israel, that's where their porches are. Their porches are, are the roof. So Peter's there up on the roof, and he's hungry, waiting for supper. Verse 10 said he was very hungry. And while they were making supper, um, it, he sees this um, picnic blanket come down with four corners to the earth and it had all all kinds of four-footed animals um, wild beasts creeping things birds of the air and a voice came and said arise Peter kill and eat and Peter said not so Lord I'm a good Jewish boy these things are not kosher and the Lord said I've never eaten anything common or unclean and a voice spoke to him again and said a second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times and the object was taken up. So, you know, you know Peter, he's thick-headed, can't tell him once, can't tell him twice, but evidently the third time was a charm. And uh, he's wondering about this and all of a sudden he gets this knock at the door. An angel had appeared to Cornelius. He's a godly man. And that's the first, first part of the chapter. Cornelius, a man of Caesarea, called Cornelius, a regent of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a Roman. And he's a Gentile. And he gets a knock on the door. He, an angel had appeared to him and says, well, this, what you need to do is I want you to go to uh, Joppa and I want you to ask around for Peter. And he'll tell you what you need to do. So he sends his friends over there and um, Peter gets a knock at the door, and by this time, it's sinking into Peter's thick skull, what's going on here? And he said, well, we've come because an angel appeared to Cornelius and said that you could tell them how to become saved. And Peter realizing, God, in verse 28, God has shown me that I should not call any man. So now we're not talking food. We're talking people. Gentiles were referred to as dogs, if you were Jewish. And now the Lord is telling him, "Uh uh-uh, no more. They're clean. If I've made them clean, they're clean. So Peter gets it. And I should not call any man common or unclean. And so he goes with them. They go back to Cornelius' house. In the meantime, Cornelius calls all his buddies over all his family, all his friends, with this great anticipation 
that a man is going to come and reveal to them the plan of salvation. So, uh, verse 40, um, he preaches the gospel. God raised him from the dead on the third day. Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that this is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living of the dead. And to him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins. Now imagine, this is in the middle of a Bible study and the Holy Spirit interrupts it. I mean, right in the middle of it. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Nobody told them about sinner's prayer, but they believed what Peter was saying that they were sinners, and that they would believe in Jesus, what do you think is going on in their heart? In their heart, they're saying, I'm gonna believe in Jesus. So what happens? The Holy Spirit can't come upon you unless you're saved, okay? The Holy Spirit comes upon them, interrupting Peter's Bible study. I wonder if that ticked him off, I don't know. Might have, might not. And those of the circumcision, these are Jews, who believed were astonished. Why were they astonished? These guys are dogs, they're Gentiles. They came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God and Peter said, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who has received the Holy Spirit? Remember last week we talked about God, you can't put them in a box? Sometimes you can be baptized first and then baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's just the reverse here. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit first and now they're baptized. And then he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Dwight, why do you bring this up? Because when we were in Romans, or when in 12, it's, and it talks about um, Um, I would not have you to be ignorant until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Well, there's an implication there. There had to be a first Gentile to get saved, just like Pentecost. Who was the first Gentile? Cornelius. Who will be the last one to get saved? I don't know. But if you're not, you better because you're holding everybody up. So get your act together. I want to go home. There's a number. The fullness of the Gentiles. And when that happens, end of church age. Thus the title of the message, how it began. Pentecost. How's it going to end? The rapture of the church. And then what? The clock begins to tick again. God owes Israel seven years. According to Daniel 9. And when we're out of here, then he will once again, look at verse one of chapter 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I'm an Israelite and the seed of Abraham and a tribe of Benjamin. No, they've been blinded, it says, for a season. But when we're out of here, don't you think um, that the world is gonna wonder what in the world happened to all these millions of people? And now you have Moses and Elijah and 144,000 Jewish evangelists and so all of Israel will be saved. When? Well, there's Messianic Jews today. 
I talked to Lindy Frank yesterday, David and Lindy. And um, uh, I'll be putting up a promotional material that where you can go to Israel virtually on Tuesdays. And I'll talk about that at another time and I don't want to get sidetracked here. Let's begin to um, uh, wind this up here. So let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, how the church will end. Let's pick it up at verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ that are gathering together to him, we ask you, it's about the rapture, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled by spirit or by word or by letter, as though the day of Christ had already come. He's writing this because somebody had started a rumor that uh, you guys were in the tribulation and you missed the rapture. And he says, I don't want you to be troubled about that. It didn't come from us. So he says, you're not in the tribulation right now, the day of, of the Lord. Verse three, don't let anyone deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Apostasia is a word here. It means a falling away from. In other words, there's gonna be a time where there's gonna be a great departure um, from the faith. That's why I don't believe there's gonna be a major revival. The Bible says he who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, we could be in for some tough times. And I, I, I see um, um, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't think we understand what that means. I do know right now that there's a lot of mandating going on, and I'll talk about that. And I know that a pastor just got fined and he just got thrown in prison. Uh, That just happened yesterday. And so with our current administration and the way things are going, it just makes you have to wonder, what will we um, have to go through with everything that's going on? But here's the order. First of all, the, the falling away. And then the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. So this could also, uh, Dr. Tommy Ice believes this is a reference to the rapture. I personally hold to it as a falling away from the faith and we're seeing more of a social gospel coming in. Therefore, a departure from sound doctrine. So we have a switch and we have an order here. Um, The church is taken out, verse four, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now this happens when? In the middle of the tribulation period. What does he cause men to do? To take his mark. Well, what happens if you don't take his mark? Then you die. But that doesn't happen now. But having said that, well, here I go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I believe COVID-19 is nothing more than a common cold and common flu. And I believe that the technology uh, that brought about uh, this was only a means to the end to get to the vaccine. I've been doing a lot of research on this. And I've come to a personal conclusion that it's not a vaccine at all, but it is um, something never passed or proven 
never tested on anything, and yet it's being rushed and forced upon people where in talking to Lundy and David Frank, David couldn't fly back to Israel unless he had the shot. And if you do any research at all, many people are dying from this vaccine and also it's altering your genes. And it's also has a technology to personally mark you to know where you are at any given time or place. I got an article that's gonna be on the News Bites this Wednesday. I'll give you a little heads up. Banks will soon only provide loans to the vaccinated. So that's what's on the horizon. And all this stuff is going to be mandated. And if you don't, you simply that can't fly to Israel. What else can't you do? Oh, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. And um, you will be forced, and if you, if you don't, well, you don't, you don't have the privileges that uh, the freedoms that we have. That's what my personal convictions are. I believe that we are very close to this event. I believe this vaccine is the mark of the beast. But remember, it can't be um, to the death point until the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist goes into the temple and shows himself to be God. And I know that we're out of here three and a half years before that. So don't, uh, if, if you've been vaccinated, don't think, oh no, I just took the mark of the beast and it's all over. No, you might be under some persecution. You might be under a lot of of, uh, limitations. I'm going to read as we close up, and Jerry's in the back room and said, you said close up 20 minutes ago. And uh, we find, it's just a quick parable, but it's a very important parable. It's only a couple verses long, the parable of the fig tree. Now I'll learn this parable from the, the fig tree when its branches already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer's near. So also when you see these things, that it is near at the very door, surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Seeing things happening, and when Israel comes back, that generation, this May 14th will be the 73rd anniversary of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Now how long is a generation? I don't know. But I know as we're close. I know because I can see signs that lead directly to the mark of the beast. And the technology is there implemented so that you can't buy or sell unless you have it or fly. And so that's what I see happening and I believe because of that we are very very close. And Jesus said when these things begin to happen Look up because your redemption draws nigh. Simple question. Do you see these things beginning to happen? I have to say yes. And so I have to say, how late is it anyway? Since 2020, the COVID virus in our world has changed. It will never be the same. We are being preconditioned to accept a one world government and a vaccine that isn't a vaccine at all. Mandated orders are coming soon to be vaccinated. 
with a vaccine um, and max practicing and of course practicing social distance and if you don't take this vaccine you won't be able to buy or sell. Well it sure sounds like Revelation 13 to me. I mean this time when I say I'm going to close. A couple stories that I found extremely interesting this week. Somebody sent me a tape. Oh, you'll, you'll be glad because you'll like these stories. Someone sent me a video that told the story of a 103-year-old German woman who knew Adolf Hitler. Do I have your attention yet? She attended events with him, was a socialite with him. Um, the German people liked him. He liked the German people, but he was beginning to have a disdain for the Jews. And he began, this is this woman who knew Hitler. These are her words. Hitler began to tell the people that the Jews had a disease. I'm going to let that sit in for a second. The Jews have a disease that could kill the German people and therefore they should have them quarantined. I've been in Warsaw where they quarantine the Jews and put them all in one place. That was for a reason. You see, they're diseased and you don't want to get their disease. And for keep a distance from them uh, and it went from that to they must be killed. In other words, genocide. Because fear now entered in. Fear was the factor. Fear of the factor, they got along with the Jews before, but now they're diseased. Now they have something that if I get it, it can kill me. And now we have a fear factor entering in. What's controlling most of what's going on in the world today? Fear. Because of what? Of a disease. And the disease that's called COVID-19, here's the other story that uh, goes along with this. Uh, this COVID virus is no more deadly than the common flu or cold. If you get COVID-19 and you have no preconditions uh, health-wise, 99.9% um, of the people live. I heard a story this week of a 16-year-old boy who got COVID, but he was vaping. Everybody know what vaping is? I really don't. Okay, vaping. And it had, <laughs> what did I miss? Are you, are, are you guys vaping out there? <laughs> the doctor said it had so deter, uh, deteriorized the inside of his lungs that when he got the COVID, even though he was young, that's what killed him. Okay, now this was February 16th. Um, this last week, Channel 2. Um, I won't play it for you, but if you want me to play it for you later, I will. Um, this is what was on Channel 2, this nightly news. An interview with Bell and Howell report that the flu has disappeared in 20. 21. Did it, anybody else hear it besides me? Okay, I'm going to give you the stats. 
because they actually put a chart up. And the flu that disappeared this year, in 2020, there was 36,175 cases of the flu. That was last year, 2020. 4,425 were hospitalized. 183 people died. The stats for 2021, we have 1,078 cases of the flu. Of those being hospitalized, instead of over 4,000, we have 67. Instead of 183 dying, we have one. And you know how they're explaining it away? Oh, it's because we're practicing social distancing and wearing masks. Uh Uh-uh. You know how they do this? They simply took the people who have the flu and diagnosed them with COVID-19. And, but don't worry, you're not going to get the flu this year. It doesn't exist. Of course it exists. It's just being labeled something completely different. And as a result, that produces what? More fear? No, the flu is still here. Hospitals are actually being compensated financially if they report a flu or cold as COVID-19. Do your own homework. Be a Berean. You heard it from here, but please be a Berean. So this morning we have seen how the church began. And we have also seen how it's going to end with the Holy Spirit and the restrainer being removed. And have no doubt about it. We're still here, and whether you realize it or not, you're still a restrainer. But the Holy Spirit in us will be taken out. Doesn't mean that it's not going to be working through Moses and Elijah and the other witnesses, but not the church age. Church age is done and over. Um, We are on the way to a one-world government and a one-world religion. This I just found out two days ago. I knew uh, Pope Francis was a Jesuit. He is the first pope who has ever been a Jesuit. He's a globalist. And he just declared this week that Mary was Muslim. Hear me out. That Mary was a Muslim and a Christian and a Jew. That's from Pope Francis. Now, when you see these things, he's a globalist, a Jesuit. What has been the goal of Jesuits all along? Do your homework on that. When you see these things begin to come to pass, look up and let me encourage you, be an overcomer. Don't get drugged down. Um, Because why? Your redemption's drawing nigh. And God has a plan. We might go through some tough times, um, but we at least know God's purpose and plan. Church has a beginning, Pentecost. It has the end, the rapture. I think we're real, real close. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we see the birth of the church at Pentecost, Lord, we also see that your purpose and plan um, as an ending point when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Lord, we're so grateful for our salvation that when we do mess up or screw up, that if we confess our sins to you, you will forgive us. 
In closing, Lord, I pray for any who have never received you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that they would see the writing on the wall. And if they haven't accepted you, I pray that you would draw them and convict them and cut them to the heart and let them know that um, theirs that are in need of salvation too. And as your word says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. I pray for that person this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.